everybody. Welcome to Life Awakening. Let's talk about it. As always, I'm your host, Coach Kelly Taney, out here in beautiful San Diego, California. I am finally back after a week and a half, almost two weeks off from Thanksgiving holidays, doing a lot of travel from my public speaking event out in Atlanta, and then coming back and doing so much here. And the yes, just getting caught up on breathing on life and things going on you know I I didn't realize how much I had been doing like going and going and going and and not doing my own self-care which is what I preach to you guys all the time is like make sure you take care of you make sure that you put you first and it's not selfish let me let me say that out loud again it is not selfish for you to put you first. If anything, it is the exact opposite. Because if you don't take care of you, you will have absolutely nothing to give anybody else any other time. Like, you know, just like when you're on the airplane, they tell you, you put your oxygen mask on first before you help anybody else on the plane, put their oxygen mask on first. That is what is meant by self-care. Self-care, self-love, all of that falls under that umbrella of put your oxygen mask on first. So over the last couple of weeks, I have just been, you know, kind of really meditating, trying to figure out, and trying is, I I don't like the word try, I have been focusing on 2020, you know, today is December 4th when I'm recording this, and, and actually, I had a little bit of a of an emotional moment a, a few minutes ago when I was looking back through my memories on Facebook. And I, I and I know very, I'm very aware of what today is. Six years ago today, I lost my mom. Six years ago today, I had to make the decision to take my mom off of life support. I had gotten a call at 8.45 p.m. the night before saying that my mom had had a heart attack in her sleep and that she was on life support at the hospital and the doctor said call the family that her organs were shutting down and she didn't have much longer. At the time I was living in Atlanta and I had to drive to Birmingham as fast as I could to get there. I uh, did not have a car, but I was living with my roommate, Sarah, or housemate. That's what she liked to call us, was housemates. It was her house, and I was living with her because I was supposed to be moving to Puerto Rico with my then-fiancé, Dee, at the time. And so I was living there, trying to pay off some debt and getting some, get, trying to get life together, basically. I was still in the very beginning stages of, of coming out of my darkness, I had only been a personal trainer for a year. I had totaled two cars in six months. I had been walking two and a half miles one way to the to the bus station. And then, you know, Sarah graciously offered to let me live in her house while I was getting, because she's originally from Puerto Rico. And uh, so she graciously allowed me to live in her house while I waited to move and get married and all of that, all of those wonderful things that were to be coming in my life. And I would, she had a spare car 
And so she allowed me to use that, you know, to go back and forth to work and to do my errands and all those things. She was really, really a great housemate. I would, I would not have been able to get the movement in my life and come up in the way that I have done and, and did at that time if she had not allowed me the grace to stay with her for the year that I lived with her. Um, she's truly amazing. We we had our hard times while I was there, and it it had more to do with me and where I was at in, in that space and time, but, but she's truly a, a blessing in my life then and now. And so, you know, I I got the call from my brother, and he couldn't call anybody else in the family, and, and so, you know, I called my, my oldest brother, Billy, and called my kids, and called my best friends, and told them what was going on, and um, I called Jason and I, I you know, at first I, I asked him if he could drive me there and he couldn't. And, you know, I didn't think about it at the time. He had Asperger's and there was like, there was no way that he would have been able to handle me in the emotional state that I was in being in such close proximity to him in the car and no escape. Like that would have been too much sensory overload for him. And I, you know, and, and looking back on that now, I can see that, that I, I would have never... I I'd, I'd never put that together when I was in that moment. So, but one thing I will say about him at that, during that time, during, during that whole month, actually, from, from the time that I found out mom was on life support all the way through my healing process over the next year, he never left my side. Like that, those, that whole week I was in Birmingham on the way to Birmingham, he was on my phone. Every time I text, anytime I called, he answered. He responded right back. It didn't matter what time of day or night it was. Like he was fully present for me. And that was such a blessing. And, it, and actually I reached out to him yesterday and I told him thank you for that. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I still don't know to this day that he knows how much what he actually did for me in that week and, and how amazing it was and how much I really appreciate everything that he's done over the last 10 years for me to, to help me become the person that I am now. But, you know, um, when I got to Birmingham, we, they wouldn't let me see my mom right away. And I had this, this horrible feeling in the pit of my stomach that she had already passed away. And I, I probably would have lost my shit that's just that's just honest if she if she had died before I got there i I don't know what I would have done or said or or anything else, but the doctors called the whole family back and they put us in this room, and we all just looked at each other and we're like, "This is not good and so we sit there and the doctor comes in and doctor looks dead at me, I guess because everybody else had already been back been back to see Mom, he knew who all they were. And they all told him that, you know, I was the oldest, I was the head of the family, and I made all the decisions. And I wasn't ready for that in my life. And at that moment in time, I was not ready to be the head of the family. I, like, not in any way, shape, or form. And it was terrifying to me. And I knew what was coming. Like, I, I did. He was like, so you're Tammy. Uh, you must be the sister. And I was like, yes. I was like, I want to see my mom. And he was like, well, we need to, we need to talk first. He was like, she had a second heart attack. We were able to revive her. We've got her body cooled down so that, you know, everything, all of her, everything slowed down. She's on a respirator. Um, her kidneys have stopped functioning. And so his initial conversation was, we want to move her up to the second floor 
or maybe I'm in the fourth floor, I don't know, move her to a different floor and slowly warm her up over the next couple of days to see if she responds. Now, this is after he told me that her kidneys are failing because she's not, you know, she's been in there almost 10 hours and there's nothing coming out of her kidneys. It's brown and all kinds of stuff. But anyway, being a personal trainer, even though I was a brand new personal trainer, I was well aware of what it meant when your kidneys failed. And I was like, you know, I was like, so I, I have some questions. I'm, I'm by far not a medical professional. I am a personal trainer and I know, I, I think I know enough about anatomy to know that if her kidneys are failed, if, if she was to wake up out of the coma that she's in right now, Number one, she beat my ass because she was on those machines. Number two, correct me if I'm wrong, but if her kidneys have already failed, she would have to be on dialysis for the rest of her life. She would not, her quality of life would not be what it is right now. Am I correct? And he was like, well, she wouldn't even be eligible for dialysis because of her mortality rate. And I was like, so you want to take her upstairs and keep her alive for two more days in this hospital and stretch out the inevitable knowing that if she was to wake up that she wouldn't live but a couple more days anyway and he got silent and he I was like you're not moving her anywhere and was like it's 5 30 a.m if she has not made any attempt to fight for her life on her own by 7 30 this morning we're taking her off those machines I made a promise to her, or we all made a promise to her a long time ago that we would never, ever allow her to live on machines. And we're going to keep that promise today. So it's 7.30. That's two hours from now. If she is not, I, I, I'm not kidding. If she has not made any attempt, she's not moved. She's not opened her eyes. She's not able to breathe on her own any of those things, her kidneys don't miraculously start working on their own, we're, we're unplugging her and we're going to set her free. And he was like, well, can we move her upstairs? And I screamed at him. I was like, you're not moving her anywhere. And he was like, well, it's going to be right in the middle of shift change. And I was like, quite honestly, I don't give a flying fuck about your shift change. My mom is going to be set free at 730. And he was like, okay. He was like, give us a minute to get the room ready and you guys can go back. He walked out of the room and he shut the door and we all burst into tears. That was probably one of the beginning of the hardest moment of my life that year. Because I had a lot of hard moments over the previous years. And um, <clears throat> I was reading about all of this in my memories and stuff today and I did really well reading all of them until I got to one. And the one where I said that at 8.45 she took her last breath. That one brought tears. And then I thought about all of the time over the last six years. All of the healing that I've done. All of the growth that I've done. Taking her to Norway and setting her free out of the box, the self-imposed prison that she put herself in for her whole entire life, man. She's free. And, and in the process of me doing all of the healing and all of the work and all of the growth that I've done over the last six years, I not only set her free, I set myself free and I set my family free. Our, our family will never, 
be dictated by our history ever again. Like we're creating a new history for our family. We're creating a new destiny for our family. And and I wanted to bring that up today, not for anybody to be sad that I lost my mom because I get I get to hug my mom in my in my dreams, in my mind every day now. You know what I mean? I can go into meditation and I can have a conversation with her and it's a, a, a amazing. But I bring that up because I want you to know at any given point in time, whenever something happens, whenever a trauma, an event, a circumstance, a situation happens, you take time to mourn that event and then you make a decision. You make a decision what direction it is that you want to go, but you cannot, and I'll say that again, you cannot afford to live in the state of victim mentality for the rest of your life. It's just, you, you can't. I mean, you could. That's a choice. A choice to stay a victim is a choice to stay the same. It's a, it's a choice to stay on the same freaking merry-go-round that you've been on for God knows how, how long. The same merry-go-round that you've been bitching, moaning, and groaning about being on for how long. Saying things aren't changing. Well, things aren't changing because you're choosing not to change. So, I, like I said, I, I just wanted to bring that up. And I, like, I love my mom, man. Even with all, like, for those of you that read my book, Dear Victim, It's Time for Us to Break Up Now. It is on sale, $9.99 right now from Cyber Monday. I have not changed the prices on it. I'm going to leave it up for probably to Christmas. Leave it at $9.99. So if you have not gone and gotten my book yet, I will put a link in the show notes for you to go check it out. It's Dear Victim, It's Time for Us to Break Up Now. It is a story of empowerment through forgiveness, strength, and love. And I'm sharing my whole entire story. And you can you can read about it and hear how, you know, my mom was the cause of so much pain and stuff in my life, but yet she taught me how to be so strong and so loving and so free. You know, I learned all of the things it is that I learned by learning what it is that I didn't want in life. And I, I think that's a hard thing for a lot of folks to to grasp a hold of. You know what I mean? They focus so much on the shitty things that happen in their life. Well, I'm this way because of X, Y, and Z. Well, you get, you get to change your perspective on how you look at that at any given point in time. At any second in the day, in that moment, in, in the event, after the event, you can choose to step outside the situation and look at it from a bird's eye view and say, okay, I see all of the moving parts. This happened because of X, Y, and Z. I get to choose what direction it is I go from here. I can choose to stay on this freaking jacked up merry-go-round or I can choose to put my foot on the ground and stop and jump off and go somewhere else and choose a different direction. But it's a choice. You get to do that. Nobody is in control of your life but you. Like, it is so amazing that you get to choose your life. At any given point in time, you get to choose what direction it is that you go. Now, I want to say this out loud. Actually, you know what? Let's take a break. Because I just said a whole bunch of stuff right there. And I want you to digest that for a second. Okay, like when trauma and events happen, you get to decide where your life goes from that point forward. No matter how, no matter how shitty it is, no matter how traumatic it is, it doesn't, it does not matter how bad it is. You can change your life in a positive direction with a simple decision to say, I am not going to let this fuck up the rest of my life. So I'm, I'm going to leave you with that thought for just a second. We're going to take a minute. And sit right here. <laughs> I love me some Fresh Prince. If we're going to take a minute, we're going to listen to my sponsors. 
Welcome back to Life Awakening. I am so excited that you guys are here. Um, and I'm glad to be back. I, we're we're, we're going we're gonna to rock out 2020. We're going to rock out the rest of this year. I'm going to be bringing the heat to you guys. I want to, to give you some really awesome things to think about over the next 29 days of this. No, 28, 27, 27 days of this year. Uh, 27 days of this decade. Take a minute. Listen to my awesome sponsors and we will be right back. Welcome back to Life Awakening. And I wanted, you know, we were just talking about how I lost my mom. We talked about how I did my personal growth, how I learned to make me a better me, how I did all of my healing, how I started changing our family's history and in essence started changing our family's destiny because I chose to heal. I chose a different path. I chose not to let the trauma in the events and the circumstances in the situations dictate what direction it was that I made. I chose not to let those things hinder me and hinder my dreams and hinder my goals. I chose to dream instead of staying the same. And I bring that up because there's something that I that I want to talk to you guys about today. You know, when when things happen, you can leave that toxic relationship. You can get a divorce. You can, you know, have a breakup or whatever, and you can you can physically leave that relationship. But if you don't change your mental, if you don't change who you are if you don't do your healing work if you don't do your soul work you take you with you listen to me when i say that you take you with you you can leave that toxic relationship but if you don't take your time to heal and you don't take your time to make you a better you after that toxic relationship if you don't take time to unpack the baggage that you gathered that you collected during that toxic relationship you're going to take it with you into the next relationship you take you with you hear me when i say that you take you with you you have got to do the mental shift before you take the physical trip listen you have to do the mental trip uh, shit you have to do the mental shift before you take the physical trip Okay, you can leave the toxic relationship, and that's what I mean. So the physical trip will be leaving, and, and and actually like leaving the toxic relationship. So your physical trip would be after you've left the toxic relationship. Your physical trip would be going into another, tri- going into another relationship. Okay, so that physical trip is whatever the next step is. All right, so you've left the toxic relationship, but you have not done your soul work. You've not done your healing. You've not done all of the work to see because there, it, I, I say this all the time there's no one person at fault for a relationship fail hear me when I say that there is not one only one person that is at fault for a relationship fail if there are two people in that relationship both people have a hand in that relationship failing there is no one person that is at fault singularly handed single-handed there is no one person that is single-handedly dissolved a relationship, that jacked up a relationship, that tore the relationship apart. Now, there might be one person that did the majority, that 
was more hurtful than the other, but we both had a hand in that relationship failing. And now when you're in that relationship, you can't see that because you're hurt and you're going to be, be projecting your hurt on the person that caused you the hurt and anybody else that is in the vicinity. You are going to be spewing that. So I'm going to give you a for instance. Think about the salty ass girlfriend that hates men now because her relationship failed and she thinks everybody should hate men because she hates men because she got done dirty. Well, she got done dirty, but she hasn't taken the time to look in the mirror and be honest and be transparent with herself to figure out what it was that she did in that relationship that added to that relationship failing. Because I guarantee you she did something. But we don't want to admit that we had a fault in that. We just want to blame the other person. I've done lots of exercises around I blame you. You know, you can't blame somebody else for where you are in life. You allowed it. You chose to do that path. You chose to do whatever it is. You know, there's no insertion in this world. So you have to do your work. You have to make your mental shifts because you take you with you. You can move out of a city that broke you, a.k.a. I left Birmingham because that was the city that broke me. I, in my mind, mentally and emotionally, I had a belief, a deep-seated belief that I, if I stayed in that God-forsaken town, I would die. Those were my real thoughts. That's in my book. I believed, because of all the darkness that I experienced, the stare down with a bottle of sleeping pills, all the drugs, all the alcohol, all the dancing, all the webcam shows, all of the things that I did that caused me pain in that city, all of the sexual abuse, all the physical abuse, all the emotional and the verbal abuse that I endured, all of the toxic relationships that I endured, that I was a part of, that I, that I helped cause the fail of every single one of those. And I can tell you exactly what I did in each of those. Looking back at it now, Steve Jobs has said it a hundred times. You can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect the dots looking back because looking forward, they're ever changing and circumstances change and you even change your mind and change your heart, change your soul, change the direction. So you can't connect the dots going forward. You can only connect the dots looking back. So if you move out of that city to start over, if you do not change your mental, if you do not work on your emotional, you cannot change your life because you take you with you. Hear me. You take you with you. It doesn't matter what you do to leave a situation, if you do not do your healing, you do not do the work that you need to do in order to change you, you're going to keep attracting that toxic relationship. Only the names and faces are going to change. You're going to attract the same situations that cause that city to break you because you take you with you. You're still entertaining the same ideas. You're still entertaining the same bar scene, whatever that looks like. You're still entertaining the same type of toxic men because that's what you think you deserve. You have to find your self-worth. You have to find your self-love. You have to do your healing. You have to make you a better you. It's nobody, nobody, hear me, nobody can heal you but you. Just like I said a few weeks ago, you can't make anybody else heal. You can't heal somebody for them. They have to heal themselves. In the same respect, you have to heal you. Nobody can make you heal. You can't make anybody else heal and you can't, nobody can make you heal. That's just, that's facts. So if you leave a town because it has bad energy for you, it like I, I told my, my middle brother, 
the one that found my mom when she died. He was a drug addict, just like my mom was. And it took him over a year to get clean. And he finally left Birmingham and he went up to Tennessee and he's still clean. He's been clean for like three years now. Yeah, three, three years, going on four. He had to leave the place that broke him. He got broken here. He couldn't stay here because it's he could not stay in Birmingham because it's familiar spirits. Everybody who was in Birmingham knew him as the drug addict. Everybody knew him as the person that did this or did that and hustled this and hustled that and stole this and stole that. He's not that person anymore because he's created a new life for himself. He taught himself how to be a better person. He taught himself how to be a better him. He changed his mental. He changed his emotional and he changed his physical location. He could have changed his physical location and not worked on his mental and not worked on his emotional. And he would have went right back to the same habits that he had created when he was in Birmingham. So that's what I wanted to, that's, that's why I wanted to really drive this home to you guys. Without a new state of mind, you're going to continue chasing something that is impossible to physically find. I'm going to repeat that one more time. If you do not change your state of mind, if you do not change your mental and your emotional, you do not do your healing, you are going to continue to chase something that is impossible to physically find. That's what I mean by you take you with you. You're going to keep searching for something that you will never physically find if you do not take the time to do your soul work. Remember my, my past post about being digmatized where I did the whole Facebook live and talked about it and, and doing your soul work and doing the healing and about the racy photo that I had on my Instagram. This is attached to that. Like doing your soul work, cutting your soul ties, healing yourself so that you quit attracting those toxic relationships. You quit attracting those men that continue to treat you in a way that doesn't make you feel empowered, in a way that doesn't make you feel good enough, in a way that you feel like you have to beg for somebody's love and somebody's attention. You should never, let me say that again, you should never, never, ever, ever have to beg somebody for their attention. You should never have to beg somebody for their love. If they are not freely giving you love and attention and calling you and texting you and telling you that they love you and telling you that you're the best thing and spending time with you and doing things for you that make you feel good because they want to all on their own without you asking for absolutely no reason whatsoever, they're not the one. They're not the one. They're somebody else's blessing and you should let them go. They're not ready for you. They're just, they're, they're keeping you around because you're convenient. That's hard to hear. And I'm saying that because I was that girl. I was that girl for 10 years. 10 years. 10. Count it. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. For 10 years, I was that girl. I stayed convenient because without him, I didn't know who I was. What was going to happen to me if he was not around? Because he was the one that called me the day that I almost took a bottle of sleeping pills. What happens if I go back into that darkness and there's nobody there to save me? Well, you know what? I'm not even the same person. That darkness will never consume me again because my light is so bright. There's not even a shadow around me. Let me say that again. My light is so bright. There's not even a shadow around me. 
I will never be in that state of mind to ever have to worry about going down a path where I will have a stare down with a bottle of sleeping pills because I have done my healing. I have done my soul work. I have done so much work on myself that there is no way in the hell that the past will repeat itself. Now, let me tell you something else that I learned. Something else that I learned was I was self-sabotaging because of that one thought right there. I had been self-sabotaging my success, my financial success, because I had a subconscious belief that I was fostering where my subconscious was trying to protect me from the past repeating itself. So I was not allowing myself to be financially successful. I kept doing this roller coaster thing with my finances because I had a subconscious belief that if I got ultra successful again, because I was in the past, financially, I was making almost $200,000 a year back in the late 90s. That's real because my business that I owned was making $110,000 to $120,000 a year. I had another job where I was making another $40,000 a year. So just to make numbers easy, like $120,000 plus forty, that's $160,000 a year I was making. I was married to my second husband at the time. He was also making $40,000, a year. So between the two of us, we were making over $200,000 a year. If it wasn't over, it was like, it was real close. We'll say between one hundred sixty and $200,000 a year is what we were making together. We had all of our shit together. When we got divorced, I, the self-doubt started creeping in. Am I good enough? Am I worthy? Like what, what, what did I do to, I, and I did not look at what did I do to cause this. I instantly started blaming myself for a second relationship fail. If you read my book, it's all in there. Like I, I talk about, oh, divorce number two, you're getting closer to being like your mom. Now, what are you going to do? Those were real thoughts in my head. That was in 1998. Now, the one thing that I did do in that time from 98 to 2000, I did take my time to do some healing from that. I say do healing. I wasn't healing. I was self-medicating. That's when I started experimenting with drugs. That's when I started drinking more and I started doing all of the toxic behaviors that led me to a stare down with a bottle of sleeping pills and I'm dying. So... Now that I'm well aware of what those signs look like, now that I have done all of my work and I, I, somebody asked the question, so I was at a, I was at a, a marketing seminar right after I got back from Atlanta from doing my, my public speaking event, which was phenomenal by the way. So I did this, this marketing event. And it was Clients in Abundance, totally, totally awesome event, gave away so much phenomenal information. And so Alex Jeffries was the one that asked the question. He was like, how are you self How are, what are you doing to self-sabotage? How are you self-sabotaging? And I, I was like, I don't self-sabotage. And I, it was like, you know what? Don't let your pride and don't let your ego get in the way and block you from finding this because... I have been talking to other friends of mine that are coaches and I point blank, like my friend Monique that did rip the bandaid off with me. I told her, I was like, I know for a fact that I have a money block because I keep repeating the same pattern, but I don't know what that is. And so if you keep repeating the same pattern over and over and over again, something keeps happening, you are self-sabotaging in some kind of way. You've got to get your ego out of the way in order to find out what that self-sabotage is. And that is the one thing that I had not really looked at it in that way. I had not checked myself in a way to know that that's what it was that I was doing. So 
and I recently just got hearing aids so trying to figure out the whole hearing aid thing and hearing sounds that I haven't heard and I don't know how long and all of this stuff going on so it's been emotional and a little and it's not emotional because I got hearing aids it was emotional because I have been I'm now hearing things that I haven't heard and I don't know how long and so that was the part that was emotional for me trying to you know make those connections and still figure it out and, and all of that other kind of stuff so Anyway, Alex asked the question, like, how are you self-sabotaging? And like I said, Im immediately your ego is going to pop up and your pride is going to pop up and it's going to say, you're not self-sabotaging. You got this. Like, you got your shit together. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, you don't. Because you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what your subconscious is doing to protect you. That's its job is to protect you. If you had a major hurt, that's where trapped emotions come in. You hear me talk about those all the time. If you have done a lot if you've had trauma in the past and you had these big emotional traumas you have got trapped emotions that it basically energetically put a brick wall around your heart it's what they call a heart wall most of us have one unless you've done the healing work to get rid of it you have a heart wall and so attached to that heart wall are emotions that are attached to events that are put that put the bricks in the wall around your heart well your subconscious is trying to protect you so when you ask that question, what am I doing to self-sabotage? I sat there for a second. I'm sitting in the front row to, to lessen the effect of the reverb and the echo that I was getting from the hearing aids that I had at that time. I've got different ones now. So anyway, I was sitting in that front row and I was like, okay, be real with yourself, Tammy. Like, so I, I took a, I closed my eyes and I just kind of like silenced everything around me that was going on and, and, and. I learned to do that through confronting silence, which is a technique that I teach to help people learn how to meditate. And so I closed my eyes, I took a deep breath, and I just kind of like pushed all the noise away from me and created like my own little bubble. And I, and I asked the question, what is the lie you're telling yourself? When I asked that question, I felt this huge rush of emotion come over me and I just started writing and whatever came out is whatever came out. And I was fearful of being ultra successful because after I got ultra successful, I lost everything that I owned four times over the next eight years, four times. And in, in, in the process of doing that, that led me to the stare down with a bottle of sleeping pills and somebody had to call and save me. Well, I've become my own hero. I have saved myself. I have taken my life in my own hands and I don't need anybody else to save me because I saved myself. There's nothing to save anymore. I, I'm in control. There, there's no outside forces that are in control of my life. I'm in control of my decisions and where I go and whatnot. And I'm well aware of that now. And there's, like I said, my light is so bright that there is no darkness around me anymore. There's no shadows. There's no anything. And so when you feel the shadows and you feel the darkness and you feel the depression or whatever that looks like, turn your light up. Turn your light up. When your light is so bright, there cannot be no shadow. There is no shadow. Um, I, I wrote all of that down and it was really emotional. I had these tears trickling down my face and I was like, holy shit, I've been holding on to this for 10 years now. Like literally, I've been holding on to this for 10 years. And so it was like one of the, the most defining and freeing moments that I have had in a really long time to realize that I was self-sabotaging in that way and I needed to create my own freedom. I needed to create my own space. I needed to recreate a new story and let myself off the hook. I had to 
tell my subconscious. And it was like, that's no longer a story that serves me. That's no longer a truth. That is my past. I don't live there anymore. I am strong. I am beautiful. I am enough. I am good enough. And I, I am financially secure. I am in charge of creating this amazing life and whatever financial success it is that I want. And I am 100% capable of doing just that. And my past has nothing to do with my future. My future has everything to do with what I choose to create. And so that, like I said, that was a defining and freeing moment. So I want you guys to take just a moment. And if you're driving, do not do this now. Wait till you are somewhere where you're sitting down and you can, you can have some silence. I, I want you to have a notebook and a pen in front of you. And I want you to close your eyes and I want you to take a big breath. And like I said, if you're driving, please do not close your eyes while you're, while you're driving. That would be really bad. <laughs> so if you are sitting down somewhere, you're at home, you are in a safe space, get your notebook out, grab you a pen. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to take a deep breath. And what I want you to do next is ask the question, what area am I self-sabotaging? Like, you know, and you may know what area you're self-sabotaging. So if, let's, you know, and, and I'm choosing finances because that's the place where I have struggled the most is with my finances. And really, you know, really since my second divorce, that's, that's been the one area I get up and I, and I crash, I get up and I crash, I get up and I crash. And it's been the same pattern over and over and over and over again. And so it's like, okay, so I, in, in, and in the moment when he asked that, I really believed that it had something to do with my mom because my mom had no financial future. My mom had no grand ideas of what financial security looked like. My mom's idea of, of your, of retirement is, you know, you work as hard as you can work. You make sure the kids have food on the table, clothes on their back, shoes on their feet. You pay your bills on time when you can. And then when you retire, you live off social security until you die. Well, she lived out that dream. I don't want that to be my dream because I saw what her life was like. Like just to give you an idea, I didn't find out like the last time that I saw my mom alive was the Tuesday before Thanksgiving back in 2013. And then that following Monday at 7.45 or 8.45 p.m. was when I got the phone call saying that she'd had a heart attack and she was on life support. I found out that Tuesday that the last two weeks of the month, she was making one bag of ramen noodles last an entire day because she was out of money for the last week and a half of the month living off social security and think about that that is a reality that my mom lived she was she was stretching one bag of ramen noodles for an entire day for at least 10 days of the month at the end of the month because she ran out of money and that was the one thing that she could afford to do and still be able to eat. I don't want that to be my, that. I refuse. Let me say that. I, it's not a, I don't want. That will not. I'm going to say that out loud again. That will not be my future. I can promise you that. Because I have really audacious dreams and goals. And I intend to make every single one of them happen. And so that's the other thing that I want to encourage you to do is to dream big like really big and feel those emotions of what it feels like to achieve that dream like visualize that dream coming to pass but now like back to the self-sabotage so you know money is it money is an easy target because we tend that that money drives everything you know it, you hear the religious people say you know money is the root of all evil no money is not the root of all evil 
the love of money. When, when money is your only objective, that is when the money becomes evil because money will amplify whoever you are. I'm going to say that again. Money will amplify whoever you are. If you're mean and you're angry and you're an asshole, money is going to amplify you being mean, you being angry, and you being an asshole. Now, if you're loving, you're caring, and you're giving, money is only going to amplify your loving, your caring, and your giving. Money is not the root of all evil. If people want to be rich because they were poor, they don't have a why. They just know that they don't want to be poor and they think a poor is a state of mind. It has nothing to do with your financial. You, you, because you could not see the blessings that you had in those moments that you report. Dude, I'm going to get deep. Y'all going to be like, what the hell? She took two weeks off and then she just, she coming with the heat today. I'm just going to tell you right now, this is, this is going to be truly amazing today. I need you to hear me today. Think about this. Poor is a state of mind. And it, we're still talking about self-sabotage and we're still talking about money. And I want you to really think about this. You know, you can do this for any area of your life, but I want you to like, I, I am going to focus on financial because that's where my hiccup has been. Okay. When we were poor, we could just, we saw what everybody else had and we saw our lack. We, in those moments, because we were in our, our, in our own story, you can't read the label from inside the jar. So your poorness, your lack, you are inside the jar and all you can see is lack because you are inside the jar. You can only see what is right in front of you. But when you come out of that situation and you look back and you can truly be thankful for those times, you can say, you know what? We may not have had as much money as everybody else had, but we always had a roof over our head. We always had shoes on our feet. We always had food on the table. We always had clothes on our back. We always made it to school. We all made good grades in school. We had friends. We played sports. We did all of the things. Now, I can choose to focus on the shitty things that happened when I was a kid. I can choose to focus on that my mom was verbally, mentally, emotionally, physically abusive, sexually abusive. I, I, I can choose to focus on those things if I want to and live, to, live in that victim state of mind. I can choose to focus on, you know what? At Christmas, we all had one gift under the tree. That was it, you know. But we always had like this grand Christmas dinner. We had the ham and the turkey and the sweet potato casserole and the mashed potatoes and the dressing and the gravy and the, um, we had green beans and black eyed peas. Like we had all of that at Christmas and we had New Year's. We'd have the same thing at New Year's and we had all of that at Thanksgiving. We had all of those things and there are so many people that don't have a decent meal at the holidays. They don't get a decent meal any day of the week. There are so many people that are living homeless and living on the streets or living in a shelter. They're wondering where their next meal is going to come from. But yet we had all of that food and we always had clothes and we always had shoes and we always had a roof over our head. We may have had to move every year because my mom would get evicted, but we never had to live on the streets. We never lived in a shelter. We had everything we needed, but I couldn't see those gifts in those moments because I was focused on what we didn't have. I was focused on looking at what everybody else had that I didn't. I had my life and I survived. And when my mom wasn't high and she wasn't drunk and she wasn't in an abusive relationship, she was mom of the year. She showed up at all of my events and she cheered me on. 
Like I had all of those blessings, but I could not see those in those moments because all I was focused on was the pain that I was experiencing in those moments. So when you're focused on being poor and you're focused on lack, that's what you're going to get more of because you can't see the blessing. You can't see the gratitude. You, you, you have no thankfulness for what you do have. And so when you can learn, again, going back to what I said earlier, you have got to shift your mindset until you shift your mindset, which is more important than the physical trip that you're taking. Me leaving the abusive home and going into a marriage I had no business going into, but that was getting me out of the bad stuff that I was going on. I was taking the physical trip, but I hadn't, I had not done the mental shift. I divorced my first husband. I took the physical trip. I left the, the, the relationship because it was not serving me anymore. It was not making me happy. We couldn't, we couldn't find a loving relationship anymore. We, we, I had no idea what really happened. We just, I, we should have never got married to be honest, but I got two beautiful kids and now three grandchildren and a beautiful daughter-in-law and a soon to be son-in-law out of it. Like I had no business being in that relationship, but I took the physical trip without doing the mental shift and I carried all the baggage from the previous trip into the new trip and then when I got that divorce I didn't do my healing like literally did not do my healing I got divorced in March I met my second husband in April and we got married in November and so like I, I didn't I carried my baggage I kept packing the bag I kept packing the bag I kept stuffing stuff in there and strapping it down and making it bigger and making it bigger it's what I talked about a couple of weeks ago and being digmatized. If you don't unpack the bag and you're trying to strap it down because you don't want to deal with it, you don't want to look at it, you don't want to look in the mirror, guess what's going to happen? That bag's going to explode. And what I mean by that bag exploding, I mean you exploding, a.k.a. staring down with a bottle of sleeping pills. Because I kept taking physical trip after physical trip after physical trip and I never did the mental shift. Boom. Drop the mic. I'm just going to say that out loud. So... What I want you to think about now, so we're going to go back to the self-sabotage, and I know I'm all over the place, but this is freaking awesome, and I am just like, I'm on fire right now, and I got my hot tea sitting here in front of me, I'm sitting on the side of the bed, and I'm just, I am feeling myself right now. So, let's go back to the self-sabotage. I want you to focus on money, okay? And, it, it, I, it, I, and I'm just saying money because most people have issues with money. Most people, the majority of people, have issues with money. Not having enough is what they focus on. Living paycheck to paycheck. I'm a, I, I, I'm one of my people that take my course. She was like, well, I, I just want enough to, to cover my basic needs. But yet you're bitching that all you have are your basic needs and that you haven't got your dreams. Well, if all you're asking for is your basic needs needs to be met, the universe just supplied that. You're getting exactly what you asked for. Woo! Listen to that. <laughs> she said, Oh, I, I, I keep asking for my basic needs to be met. And I was like, aren't your basic needs met? Well, yeah. Well, then the universe supplied that. So when are you going to start asking for more? When are you going to start believing that you can have more? You believe that you can have your basic needs met. That's what the hell you're getting. So when are you going to start believing that you can have more? It's your belief and your subconscious belief. Your subconscious is dictating your, sub, your self-sabotage. So if you're self-sabotaging... You have a subconscious belief somewhere that you don't deserve the blessing of more money. So I want you to really think about where are you self-sabotaging in your financial life right now? 
and and we can touch on self-sabotaging in other areas of your life and I, I and I'm cool with that I want you guys to reach out to me like on like for real for real I want you to take a screenshot of this podcast I want you to put it on your IG stories and I want you to tag me at Tammy underscore Loftus and I want you to tell me your takeaway I want you to tell me what area of your life you want to talk about self-sabotage because I, I can dive deep into all of it like I'm telling you all of this work I've done over the last 30 days doing my healing doing myself working on what it is that I truly want in 2020 and what direction it is that I want to go because we only have 27 days left in this decade I want to be sure that I have a plan and self-sabotaging myself financially is going to fuck up my plan and so I needed to realize that I was self-sabotaging so if you're at home or at work and you're somewhere that you can do this and you are not driving, I want you to have your notebook and have a pen and I want you to take a deep breath in and out. Just one more big breath. Take it in. Now, the question I want you to ask yourself, what is the lie I'm telling myself? What is the lie that I keep telling myself about my finances? What is the lie that I keep telling myself about why I cannot be financially free or why I am not financially free? What is, what is the lie? What is the belief? What is the thoughts that I keep telling myself that is keeping me stuck? And then just be quiet. Don't say anything. Don't think anything. Just be quiet. Take a big breath. Listen to the silence. And as you're listening to that silence, thoughts are going to start flooding your mind. And you're going to know that those are the real thoughts to the questions, the real answer to the questions that you just asked because they're not thoughts that you've thought before. They're not the reality that you have been telling yourself. They're not the, they're, they're not the, yeah, they're not the, they're not the lie that you've been telling yourself. You've been telling yourself that you can't be financially free, but why? The why is the self-sabotage. So when that thought drops down in your head, just don't try to overthink it. Don't try to outthink the thoughts. Just let them come and you write them down. And it may be emotional and it may bring tears, but when it's emotional and it brings tears, that's going to bring healing. And then you can, you can say, that is not a thought. That is not a belief that serves me anymore. That is something that happened in my past and I've done my healing. And if you haven't done your healing, then that's another conversation and we need to talk about that. So that's that mental shift. So before you take the next physical trip, you have to do your physical shift. I mean, yeah, before you take your next physical trip, you have to make your mental shift. You have to hack your mental process. You have to hack your mental thoughts. You have to hack your beliefs. You have to hack your self-sabotage. You have to change how you think. You hear me say this a million times in every single one of my freaking podcasts. You are where you are because of how you think. Your thoughts are just, or your beliefs are just thoughts you keep thinking. 
So until you have the mental shift, until you decide that you don't want to believe that anymore, until you decide that you are sick and tired of being sick and tired, until you decide that you don't want to be where you are anymore, you can never shift. Nobody can hold you stuck. You're holding you stuck. Nobody can make you believe something you don't want to believe. Nobody can make you stay at a job that you don't want to stay at. You choosing to stay there. Nobody can make you stay in a toxic relationship. You're choosing to stay in that toxic relationship. You can take all the physical trips you want, but if you don't make the mental shift, you're going to repeat that physical trip over and over and over again. Only the names and faces are going to change. Whether that's a job, whether that's a relationship, whether that's whatever, relationships with your parents, with your kids, job after job after job, all of those things are going to continue to repeat themselves. The situations and circumstances are going to continue to repeat themselves. Only the names and faces are going to change. That's it. If you leave one job that you hate and you haven't done the mental shift to figure out why you hated that job and what it is that you actually what actually would make you happy in your next job. When you get to that next job, you take you with you and you're going to create the same type of environment that you had at your last one because you didn't do the mental shift. Truth. Mic drop. That's it. So I, like, I, I, I don't even know how much more I can add to that because I am quite sure that I just twisted your brain all in a knot today. <laughs> um, I, you know, I appreciate you guys being so patient with me as I took these, you know, last week and a half, two weeks off to, to get my mental shift on and to get me prepared for 2020. Um, I love you guys to the moon and back. I am so excited for what is coming up in the new year. I am working on some amazing stuff, like truly amazing stuff. There are some huge things coming that I really can't divulge right now. Uh, it's just in the beginning stages, the, the, the public speaking event that I did for Purses of a Hope was absolutely phenomenal. It was one of the best things that I ever did. I'm so excited that I did it. Uh, I will be doing their four city tour with them next year. We will be going to Detroit. What's up, Detroit? We are going to Bat Baton Rouge. Uh, so excited to be going down to Louisiana. I got my friend Lindsay that lives down there. Can't wait to see her and hug her neck. I know she's going to be bringing bringing some friends down to to support Purses of Hope. And then we will be in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. And then we are going back to the ATL. Uh, so those are the four cities that we will be hitting next year. If you want to donate to the Purses of Hope, please go to PursesofHopes with an S dot com. You can donate there or you can um, you can hit the cash app Purses of Hope. You can also do, um, I wanted to say Groupon. It is not Groupon. <laughs> GoFundMe. You can do GoFundMe for Purses of Hope as well, and you can uh, donate there. Uh, you can also find their their Facebook group, Purses Facebook group, Facebook page, Purses of Hope, and I believe there is a place to donate there as well. So excited to be a part of this amazing organization and all of the wonderful things that are coming because of that. I have officially started on my second book. I am super excited about that. I cannot wait for you guys to see how amazing that's going to be. Um, it is called Don't Be a Glow Stick. Stop letting people break you and shake you before your light comes on. And uh, yes, I said it. 
I'm not taking it back. And I mean every word of it. It's going to be amazing. Um, you guys are amazing. You inspire me each and every day. I hope that you really, really, really got some value out of this podcast today. I would love to hear your thoughts. And uh, don't forget, if you are on Apple Podcasts, go and leave me a review. I read those all the time. I, lo- I love it when I hear from you guys. I got five-star reviews from everybody. It's amazing. I'm so thankful and so grateful for each and every one of you. Uh, you are the bomb.com. I hope that you had an amazing Thanksgiving. Make sure you tell your loved ones how much that you love and appreciate them. I have a really special podcast for next week while I am traveling back to Birmingham. I'm going to be doing some interviews in the in the airport. So uh, if you happen to see me in the airport, uh, flag me down and say, hey, I want to be on your podcast. That'll be great. So I'll be in the San Diego airport bright and early Tuesday morning headed to Atlanta. And then I will be in the Atlanta airport and my daughter will be picking me up. I don't know that I will have time to do any interviews in Atlanta, but I'll definitely be doing some interviews bright and early in the San Diego airport. And I can't wait to do that. And then when I fly out of Birmingham, coming back to San Diego, I will be doing some more interviews to, uh, as well, putting it all together and doing one, one big podcast with that. So it's, uh, I, I don't want to ruin the surprise. It's totally awesome. And it's going to be amazing. I've been asking people what they thought about it. And it was like, oh my God, that's so great. So, uh, but again, thank you guys so much. I so appreciate you. I love you to the moon and back and I will see you soon. Bye-bye now.